afternoon. Hello, hello. I'm Savannah. I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. Welcome back, Welcome everybody. Back. We're going to late start recording today. Yeah, we are. We uh, we talked too much. <laughs> yeah, I know you guys always are, happens. I know you guys are shocked. <laughs> <laughs> it always happens when we take a week off. Right. We didn't record last mm. weekend. That's true. We have to catch up. Well, happy new year almost. Almost new year. The new year's coming right, right around the corner. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a New Year's kind of person. I like New Year's, but I never get to do anything because my fiance is always working. No, yeah. So I don't really I don't really do much for New Year's. Yeah, see, I like not doing much for New Year's. I don't have any desire to like go to a party or anything, but I do feel kind of lackluster every year. I'm just like sitting at home, like, oh look, there it is. See, but I like that because in my younger years I did go out and party. Yeah. And it always fell flat, was disappointing. There was some sort of drama. True. Something would always happen that would make me go, this sucks. I should have stayed home. And so now I do. And I'm happy with it. True. It's totally okay. I've actually had the best New Year's like the past two or three years now that my kids are old enough to actually stay up and oh, yeah. do stuff. So like the last two years, we stay up late and we play, what's that game? Dance Dance Revolution. That is the best New Year's tradition. So that's what we do now. That's fun. And my kids laugh at me because I know all the old dances. I'm jealous. That's and then fun. they teach me all the new dances. That's great. So you can come over and play Dance Dance Revolution. I probably will now. <laughs> so yeah, I don't think we have any announcements. Oh, I do. I want to thank our listener, Deacon requested months ago yeah the richard huckle case deacon thank you for your patience i am working on it i promise that's a beast of a case and it being a uk case i just want to make sure that i find the right resources um i keep starting it and then i kind of run out of time and i need to have a case written so then i <laughs> something else so i i just wanted to say if you're listening to this one Please know I am right. working on it and we I will cover it at yeah. some point. We have had so many and I love it. So many listener recommended cases these last few weeks. Like our list is yeah. getting so long and it's great. It's it's, I know. it's like starting to fill up our whole whiteboard. Exactly. But I did have a weird feeling this week because I picked a case that's not on the recommended list. Like the and I was like, oh, I feel like I'm disappointing somebody, but <laughs> I wanted to cover Aww. this one. So. You know, That's sometimes okay. they're not going to be recommended. Most of the time, though, I feel like recently they have been. Well, next time. Right. I hope to do the Richard Huckle case as my next case. Mm -hmm. Oh, and shout out to um Sarah. And I'm going to mispronounce your name. Give me just one minute. I'm going to I'm going to look at it so that I can sound it out and make sure that I'm not saying it wrong. We had emails this week that I wanted to. Oh, yes. Domini would be yes. how I pronounce it. I think so. Yeah, I was excited when I saw that. That was so sweet. So thank you guys both for Sarah and Domini for yeah. emailing us in because that was great. I love that you're like, we don't have social media, but we want to contact you anyway. So yeah. do that if you want to. We're burdenofproofpod at gmail.com. Let us know what you like. We answer. Yes. And we do have, like we said, a lengthy list of listener requests so it might take us a while to get to yours. Yes, but but please. we will try. We we do try. We at least there's been a few that I have to 
say no to just because it either doesn't fit the burden of proof sort of right scheme, if you will. Yeah, because we don't do <laughs> unsolved scheme, cases. Like we're, we're in that cahoots. Was, that's the, yeah, we are in cahoots. We uh, yeah, because we can't do unsolved cases if if they don't have a trial attached to them. That's kind of the. Yeah, or us. I mean, I will do it if it's, you know, even if the person gets caught and makes a deal or whatever. Right. Like, I, I'm okay with that. Um, I just, I don't necessarily, I try to steer clear of unsolved cases. I personally like doing lesser known cases. Mm-hmm. So I know, like, I've had a couple people ask, ask me personally, like friends or right. acquaintances, ask hey you should do this and it's like some huge famous i'm like everybody's done that like i'm sorry but like i'm not gonna give you more any new information on that case because it's been done to death and so i yeah i try to i agree i i think that that's something that our listeners look for too is that we have cases that you haven't heard of yeah and that makes us fun and i also like bringing attention to other victim stories and yeah, you know it's time. So yes, please give us your recommendations that you or anything you want us to cover. Um, we will eventually do it. It will just take us some time. Yes. All right. I don't even know what we're covering today. It's not very New Year's Eve, but it took place oh. on New Year's Eve. Oh, and I'm sorry that the case that we put out before Christmas wasn't a Christmas case. It just kind of happened that way. I'm sorry. That was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I should have done a Christmas one, and then I didn't. Well, that's okay. Well. We'll forgive you. Yeah. Next time, we'll do Christmas. Next Christmas. Next Christmas, we'll do Christmas. It's just going to be me telling you a Christmas story. <laughs> that works. You can tell. Like, oh, that just made me think. Did you know that there is a place somewhere in Florida, I want to say it's in Plant City, that is like a haunted house kind of setup, but it's Christmas themed? Did you know that? No. I just saw it on Instagram like a few days ago. Stop the recording. We're driving to Plant City. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love I, it. It's like Mr. I don't know. I'll have to look it up. Sorry to bring something up and not have all the info. But <laughs> yeah, just Google like okay. haunted Christmas house or something in, in right. Florida. And I'm sure you'll find it. So Is it like the ghost Florida of Christmas listeners? past or something? I guess. No, it's it's like straight up like oh. christmas characters but they look gory oh i can't do that that yeah. kind of haunted house i'm scared of haunted houses yeah not like a real haunted house like, right i know yeah i would have literally taken the time to call you or text you if it had been like <laughs> this house opens up for christmas but it's truly haunted, haunted. <laughs> That's different. I can handle real ghosts, but theater kids. Yeah, jumping out at yeah, you. Yeah, for some reason I can't. I don't know. You know, I think it's generational. Yeah. Mom, mom has a story. I can handle it. I just don't always. I mostly it's not worth the money for me. <laughs> Fair. I'm not gonna lie. Fair. I'm like I don't want to pay thirty dollars. Why are for you? some dude to this isn't fun? Jump out at me and accidentally hit me because he's like. Death perception is dark in there. He's a teenage kid and isn't, yeah. He's like, my arms are longer than they used to be. I don't, (laughs) they hurt, growing pains, ah. This is the tangent. Yeah, that's okay. All right, so this case is a bit tricky. I did my best. I hope everybody can follow what I'm saying. 
It wouldn't be an Alicia case if we were a little confused. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm so sorry. There's multiple criminals, if you will, to this crime. Okay. I'm going to go over what the main person is Brandon Hutchinson. I'm going to give you his account of what happened. Okay. Okay. Then I will give you a little bit, kind of just like a very short summary of what Michael Salazar says happened. And then we will discuss what the court documents say happened. Okay. Because not everything lines up perfectly. Okay. Okay. All right. So... In 2019, Brandon Hutchinson spoke out about his crimes on the show I Am a Killer. Okay. But as I said, there were multiple men involved. And of course, they each have their own version. Uh, Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to cover it. I do try to, you know, make the transitions easy. But stop me if you have questions. All right. And if you listeners have questions afterwards, just visit us on Instagram or Facebook, and we will do our best to answer. Brandon Hutchinson was born on December 16th, 1974, in Ventura, California. The middle of three boys, he struggled with behavioral issues his entire childhood, but it wasn't just because he had middle child syndrome. Brandon says he was sexually abused as a kid, and he believes it started around age five. He recalls seeing a psychologist at a young age after he started acting out, but apparently it wasn't enough to, you know, be a full intervention because he began using drugs and alcohol at an early age as well to cope with everything. He admits his methamphetamine use grew heavy around age 15. Wow. Okay. Brandon then met a girl named Michelle while dealing drugs to one of her friends at a motel room, and they began an on-again, off-again relationship. They had two children together, but he says that the relationship was completely over by the time he was 18. Okay. So that gives you an idea of the rough life we're we're talking about. He then moved from California to Mount Vernon, Missouri, hoping to get clean and start over. It was a big big change, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he he had family in both places. Okay. So he moves there, but unfortunately, he found himself in the same sort of trouble when he met his new cousin in law, Freddie Lopez. Freddie rented a property that included a house and an old car repair building, like a garage next door. And he told everyone that he was starting a detailing business. But according to Brandon, that was just a front. The truth was that Freddie was a marijuana dealer. He was transporting up to 50 and 60 pounds at a time from California to Missouri. So Brandon's... That's a lot. Yeah. I'm just trying to picture that. That's a lot. That's the... That's Betty. Betty yeah, size. That's the size that's of... my dog. The, my golden of her doodle. golden doodle. Do they also have a carrot in their mouth? <laughs> Put a carrot on top of the weed? Put a carrot on top of the weed. Betty will, uh, she has, the, <laughs> she does the displacement thing when she's really happy. She has this giant carrot toy. That's what I'm talking about. It's- <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't make sense to anybody. No. Yeah. yeah. She loves her giant carrot toy. And so she 
she wiggles her butt around with it in her mouth. Yeah. And it's sometimes adorable. when she gets super, she bites it in just the right spot, and she's super excited, she'll just repeatedly squeak it over and over and over <laughs> it's again. It's adorable. <laughs> it's so cute. So Brandon started working for Freddie and says that he was initially just trying to build up Freddie's clientele, but quickly started using drugs again himself. Mm-hmm. He then encouraged Freddie to take up methamphetamine dealing because it turned a larger profit than marijuana. So Freddie took a shot at it, and according to Brandon, the business really took off. Freddie then had his friend Michael Salazar come to Missouri to be his right-hand man, so to speak. Okay. Michael and Freddie were from the same gang in California. So, Freddie really trusted him, and now that he was handling heavier stuff, it seemed necessary. And then, on New Year's Eve of 1995, Freddie and his wife, who is Brandon's cousin, Mm -hmm. threw a party at the detail shop. Brandon says that that party was the first time he met brothers Brian and Ronald Yates. The Yates. The Yates brothers. He and the two brothers were playing dominoes when they began talking about Freddie and Michael. Brandon grew frustrated when they began using racial slurs, so he stepped out of the garage where he ran into Michael. All right. And he says that he told Michael what the brothers were saying, and Michael proceeded to enter the garage and open fire on the two men. Okay. Only one of the bullets hit Ronald, and according to Brandon, Michael then grabbed a screwdriver and started stabbing him, stabbing Ronald. Brian was shot a couple of times, so he was down. Ronald was hit one time. It took a minute for him to fall, Brandon said. But then he claims that Michael grabbed a screwdriver and just started stabbing Ronald. Okay. Brandon ran to the house to tell Freddie what was happening. And then as they came back and they entered the garage, Ronald was attempting to escape out the back door, like, by crawling. He couldn't walk. And Brandon claims that Freddie told him to go get him. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. The pressure. Yeah. So Brandon admits he grabbed Ronald, dragged him back, to the middle of the garage and kicked him and he claims that he remembers somebody saying that they should call an ambulance but says that instead they didn't they decided no we can't and that freddie then directed them to pull a car up and instead of calling an ambulance michael and brandon loaded the two men into the trunk of the car brandon was driving with Freddie in the passenger seat and Michael in the back seat. And despite being both shot and stabbed, according to Brandon, both Ronald and Brian were still alive and began making noise in the trunk. Oh, gosh. Freddie told Brandon to pull the car over, and Brandon says that Freddie said nothing more but handed him a twenty-two pistol. He claims he was worried about staying alive himself, and he took the action as a silent order to kill the two men. Uh, okay, that's what it seems like it is. 
Brandon states that he opened the trunk, and without even hesitating, he grabbed each of them by the head and shot twice. Okay? Okay. Pretty straightforward. But as I said in the beginning, that is just his account right. in 2019. This happened in 1995. Yeah, that was a long time ago. And he admits that he was high right. when it happened. So just keep that in mind. Okay. Because I don't necessarily want to say that he is a liar <laughs> like right. completely. I just, uh, yeah, there's just a lot to it. He said in his interview that he kept his mouth shut about what happened to keep himself and his family safe, implying that the people he had been associating with would not take it well if he was honest. He also admitted that he had never felt remorse for what he had done until the few years leading up to the interview, and it was watching a mother speak about the murder of her daughter on TV that made him feel the pain that Mrs. Yates must have felt when she lost her sons. Okay. I, I, think, I think addiction definitely has a, a role to play in that, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Now we'll go back to the crime. Okay. Okay. And just hours after the murders happened, Deputy Sheriff Walter Mativier got a call from dispatch informing him there was a double homicide. Brandon, Freddie, and Michael did the bare minimum to cover up the crime. They literally just dumped the Yates brothers' bodies on the side of a dirt road within the same county that they lived. Oh, wow. Okay. No burial, no cover, not even a short distance like off no the road driving. into the woods. They drove. They were driving, but the, remember, they started making noise in the trunk. I know. I'm saying so they, they didn't stopped. Like, they didn't they like didn't, leave the county. They didn't say like they didn't even make it out of the county. No, just a dirt road. Like, yeah, I think they were on a main road trying to drive away from the county. Right. But when they stopped. And he did that. They didn't then, like, put him back in the trunk and then drive farther out. They just right there left them on the side of the road. There was some woods, Mm -hmm. like, just a few feet away. They didn't even, like, drag him off into the woods. They were literally, like, half in the road. Mm. Yeah. Lovely. So Sheriff Mativier said he had never heard of anything like it happening in the county. And he definitely had never dealt with a double homicide before. The officers instantly knew it was an execution because both men had been shot in the eyes, but also in the back. Okay. In their backs. The detectives working the case believed it to be gang-related. Right. Mativier said they were only able to identify the bodies right away because sitting a few feet away on the ground were some dentures that were inscribed with the Department of Justice, inmate number, and Brian Yates's name. Sorry for that visual. It did not take long for investigators to link the murders back to Freddy Lopez and his operation, though. And within five days, Brandon, Michael, and Freddy were all arrested. While awaiting trial, Brandon's ex and mother of his at the time, two sons, moved to Missouri 
So they were on again, off again when they were younger. Mm -hmm. But she supported him. See, she had cut contact with him before he left for Missouri because of his drug addiction. But she says she always believed he was innocent of the murders and wanted to support him as well as allow him to see their sons. If you're like me, this may make some sense to you, but their next move may not. Okay. Like, that's fine. I understand. Yeah. If, if she's thinking, oh, well, he really was trying to get his life together and now he's been, you know, accused of this crime. And the only way my sons are going to get to see their father is to be able to go visit him in prison. Right. <laughs> potentially. I, I could see, and obviously they probably didn't have the healthiest of relationships because he obviously had addiction issues. She obviously was hanging out with a lot of people that had right. issues since that's how they met. But the next move was a bit shocking for me. I'm not exactly sure when, but I'm pretty sure that they got married while he was in prison awaiting trial for these murders. Mm -hmm. And she says that she did so because she was convinced he was innocent and not going to be convicted and that he would get out. That's a big that's a big that's a big leap. Yeah. And he had never said like everything that I just went over of his story mm -hmm. that he had never he, had said it. he never admitted that at the time. Yeah. So keep that in mind. In fact, I'll discuss how she found out later because I was quite horrified. So we'll but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, nevertheless, he was charged with two counts of first degree murder and was the first of the three men to go on trial. Before we discuss the trial, though, let's go over what Michael Salazar claims happened that New Year's Eve and the actions we know that Freddie Lopez took once he was arrested. Michael admits that he initially shot the Yates' brothers. Yates' brothers, that's like saying that they're the brothers. <laughs> the the brothers. Yates' brothers. <laughs> the brothers of the Yates. <laughs> but says that everything after that is hazy. Michael doesn't really remember whether it was Brandon or Freddie making the decisions the rest of the night, but he claims that every action he took was by their lead and he really wasn't thinking at all. He also was... It's a bit of a, bit of a cop out, but okay. Yeah, um, especially since he was like the only one that was supposedly sober. Right, yeah. He wasn't using the drugs. So... Um, did anybody fact check that? But here's the thing. Brandon now says... says I mean, I already mm -hmm. discussed what Brandon says happened. So that part is true that michael shot them first and then but he technically did not kill them so there is some agreement in that and we'll talk about kind of everyone's relationship with freddie because that plays a big part oh gosh okay yeah michael was also charged with two counts of first degree murder under the legal principle of common purpose yeah okay if you're not familiar it was a little difficult to find um, a good source for me on that because a lot of what I found was actually from other countries. And I was trying to specifically yeah. find, like, what does it mean in Missouri? But basically, it's what it sounds like. 
Brandon and Michael worked together to commit this crime. Therefore, Michael was charged with the same thing, despite not being the one who actually delivered the fatal shot. Right. Like, the intention was there for both of you. So that's what matters in this case. But Michael claims that he didn't have a common purpose because he says his thought process in taking the Yates brothers out to the country road was to leave them there and that someone would come along and find them and help them. But you shot them in the first place. Yeah. Okay, cool. As long as we're on the same page. Now, things looked a little different for Freddy Lopez. Because unlike Brandon and Michael, Freddy did not wait 24 years to talk. No, no. Freddy said, pass me the mic. There was no evidence that Freddy was present in the garage during the initial shooting, nor was there really any definitive evidence as to his role in the aftermath. But what prosecutors did have was a statement from Freddy that they did not have from Brandon or Michael. So he made a deal with the prosecution to testify at both of their trials in exchange for a lesser charge of second-degree murder. Now, I want to discuss what Brandon and Michael's appeal records state happened that New Year's Eve. Okay. Um, I, ki- I cross-referenced them, and for the most part, though they're phrased differently, and some, you know, they have, like, slightly different details. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, same thing happened. Same gist, yeah. Um, but I pulled some details from each of them. So, according to the statement of facts, Ronald and Brian Yates arrived to Freddie and Carrie Lopez's party just after midnight looking for their brother, Tim. Tim had already left the party, but Freddie invited the brothers to stay and have a few beers. And apparently more. Yeah. Yeah, as I say, just some beers or are they having some, some more fun? Yeah. Um, Brandon was severely intoxicated and had already had a scuffle with a guy by the name of Jeremy Andrews for, quote, no apparent reason. They scuffling. Jeremy Andrews testified that he also observed Brandon making shooting motions at the Yates brothers. Freddie admitted that he shared a line of methamphetamine with Ronald Yates at some point before he and Carrie went back to their house at around 4 a.m. So. That left Brandon Hutchinson, Michael Salazar, and the Yates brothers as the only partygoers in the garage as everyone else had already gone home. Right. Yeah. According to testimony, Brandon ran into the Lopez's house about 20 minutes later and began banging on the bedroom door exclaiming that something bad had happened. Michael was on the front porch calling out for Freddie to come outside. And when Freddie went outside, he saw Michael holding a 25 caliber revolver. Michael admitted he had shot someone, and when Freddie entered the garage, he saw the Yates brothers lying on the floor. This is where it's tricky. Because mm-hmm. if you remember, mm-hmm. Brandon said that after Michael shot them, Michael picked up a screwdriver mm-hmm. and started stabbing Ronald. But according to Freddie's testimony, Michael claimed that Brian tried to stab him with a screwdriver, which is why he shot at them. 
Okay. Specifically, he said he shot, he hit Brian, and then Ronald stood up to like come at him, mm-hmm. and so he shot Ronald okay. too. No one and nobody else. There is no mention of Michael picking up a screwdriver and stabbing anybody. Justin Brandon's. Justin Brandon's account in his in 2019, 2019 interview. So that's what that's kind of why I emphasize like the it's math all these years. Ain't math it's all in. these years later. And yeah. Okay. Back to the court records. They state that Brandon insisted that no one call an ambulance because they were already dead. It's true that at least Brian appeared, probably appeared dead, dead, um, because he really wasn't moving or like doing much of anything. Yeah. Brandon and Michael then placed Ronald in the trunk of Freddie's Honda Accord and then put Brian on top of him. Mm Mm-hmm. At Freddie's instruction, Michael went back into the house and grabbed a 22 caliber handgun before they took off in the car with Brandon driving. They only drove about 10 to 15 minutes before they stopped. So they didn't make it very far. Yeah, that's not far at all. Brandon then grabbed the 22 and stated, quote, we got to kill them. But I thought they were already dead, Brandon. Yeah. Then he and Michael got out and walked to the back of the car. So that's another thing that's yeah, different. Yeah, he's saying, okay. I mean, obviously, they're going to say, like, it's a he said, he said situation as to, like, what the implications are on who decided yeah. that they needed to right. die. That's to be expected. But there's also slight differences in the stories of, like, Brandon says, oh, I just got out of the car and I went back and shot them. All these years later. Right. But Freddie's testimony was that Brandon and Michael both got out of the car, walked to the back of the car. Right. Freddie stayed in the car. And then Brandon and Michael, um, they opened the trunk. They pulled the top of the first brother out, just out of the trunk. So, like, their head is yeah, sort of hanging yeah. out of the trunk. Michael said that he stood leaning against the car as Brandon shot him twice in the head. And then they took him out of the trunk completely, threw him to the side of the road, and repeated the process with the second brother. Freddie testified that he didn't see anything at that point, that he heard several gunshots, and then Brandon and Michael got back in the car with the gun still being held by Brandon. Okay. They then drove to a nearby creek where Freddie threw the bullet casings in the water and Brandon buried both the 22 and the 25 caliber guns wrapped in his t-shirt. Okay. Brandon then drove them to a friend's home and pleaded with the friend to let them in and allow him to take a shower because he had blood on one of his hands. I don't know how you you got out of all of that with just blood, yeah. blood on one of your hands. Also, fam, if anybody shows up to your house and is like, please let me shower. I got blood on me. (laughs) Don't let them shower there. For the love of God, call the police. Yeah. The three men then returned to Freddie's house where Brandon and Michael picked up the Yates brothers car and drove it to somebody's girlfriend's house. I 
I think Michael Salazar. I think Michael Salazar might have had multiple girlfriends. Okay. Uh, he he seemed to have had a girlfriend in Missouri, a girlfriend in Arizona, and a, possibly a girlfriend in California. Okay. So. He got hose. His Missouri, <laughs> yeah. His Missouri girlfriends uh, then gave them a ride to, sorry, when I say them, just Brandon and Michael. Freddie right. stayed back because I think Freddie thought he was home free. Like, I didn't do this. I didn't uh, shoot yeah. anybody. Even though it was his house and his, his car. car. <laughs> I don't know that for sure, but yeah. it seems that the actions imply that. Right. Okay. So, anywho, Michael's Missouri girlfriend gave him and Brandon a ride to the bus station where they bought two tickets to Yuma, Arizona, where another girlfriend of Michael's lived. Okay. And as I said earlier from the sheriff's interview, the bodies of the Yates brothers were found in the road in the early morning. And they quickly determined that both men had been shot multiple times and most likely in like an execution fashion. They could tell. They pretty much established, oh, it looks like they were shot, disabled, if you will, and then brought Mm -hmm. out here and basically executed. And besides the dentures that I mentioned, they also found a piece of carpet that was later determined to have come from the trunk of Freddy's car. These dudes were not careful no. at all about any of the evidence. The autopsies of the bodies showed that both men had been shot at point blank range with a 25 caliber gun. The bullet that hit Ronald lodged in his spine, effectively paralyzing him from the waist down. Okay. So that's why he was like crawling, crawling yeah. dragging himself across the floor. Brian had been hit twice. One was a minor wound to the chest and the other a more damaging one to the stomach. However, the medical evidence confirmed that both men would have still been alive at that point. Um, and that it was the final shots to the heads with the 22 right. that killed them. Despite fleeing, Brandon and Michael were arrested in California within days. Interesting to me, though, that Brandon's appeal in the statement of fact just says that they were apprehended, but Michael's appeal states that he turned himself in. So I don't know Mm -hmm. if Brandon turned himself in or if Michael turned himself in and then they somehow were able to track down Brandon. Yeah, he was like, I'm here, but Brandon's in the... Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I couldn't find anything that said one way or the other. Not shocking. Brandon was found guilty and received the death penalty. Okay. Michael's trial took place second, and he was also found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without parole. All right. Then, despite making a deal with the state, Freddie was still facing at least 30 years. Like, his deal was basically 30 to 40 years. And then all of that changed when Freddie's family won $34 million in the California lottery. Those bastards? What? 
they went on to hire top-notch yeah, defense attorney of course. D. Wampler out of Springfield, Missouri. Wampler. Wampler. That's a fun word. Yes. Everybody say Wampler. <laughs> attorney Wampler negotiated a better deal for Freddie, lowering his sentence to 10 years for each victim. Okay, which means he'll probably serve five each. Is he serving them concurrently or consecutively? Just wait. This deal was agreed to only after Freddie settled a wrongful death suit brought against him by the Yates family, wherein he started a trust fund of $230,000 for the children of Brian Yates, and they in turn requested that the criminal court only sentence him to 10 years for each of their loved one's deaths, right? Just as I said. Right. Now, I'm having difficulty with this because everywhere I've read, I swear to you, everything says that they requested 10 years for each victim, but it also says that the court only sentenced Freddie to a total of 10 years. So I think what it is is that they were... It was 10 years. Mm -hmm. Consecutively. No, concurrently. Oh, concurrently. Madness. So he just. Yeah. Now, Gary Yates, Ronald and Brian's brother, claims that he had no idea that Freddie would be given a reduced sentence for giving the money to his niece and nephew. And he doesn't think that it's right someone could buy their way out of a punishment for such a horrific crime. Well, I have some news for you, buddy. This is the United States of America, and you can buy yourself out of anything. <laughs> yes. He said he feels that all three men should have received the death penalty, as he believes they are all equally guilty, though they, you know, obviously are responsible for different parts to the crime. And Freddie, regardless of what Gary thinks, <laughs> Freddie ended up serving only eight years of his sentence. And I, I was going to ask how many years out of the 10 he was actually, yeah, he actually served. He did serve eight. And I have no idea what happened to him after that. I cannot find him. I searched and searched and searched. Freddie Lopez is an extremely common name, yeah. especially in California. Right. Like you put up, because I checked like Freddie Lopez, Missouri, because Carrie Lopez, Brandon's cousin, did an interview in the show as well. Mm -hmm. Um. And she referred to herself as his ex-wife. So I was like, okay, maybe he left Missouri and went back to California. I I searched there. I think I even did a search in Arizona. But it's just such a common name that right. it's hard to tell if... Well, yeah, you're... Yeah, yeah. that's, that's going to be impossible to find. And also, like, he probably changed his name. His family won $34 million. He, he wiped it. Probably. Yeah, they probably <laughs> were like... like a whole new identity. You have now been witness protection programmed. <laughs> Basically, or killer protection programmed. Like, <laughs> oh God, I, yeah, that's they yeah. totally just cleared it for him. And but I just... did like inmate search because I was like, well, right. who knows? Just because you have money now doesn't mean that you aren't still out there committing crimes. Like maybe you're back in jail for something else. Yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, nope, nothing. Couldn't find him. So Michael Salazar is still serving his life sentence without parole. He, of course, appealed, but the courts have always affirmed his sentencing. And um, I don't know how you're going to feel about the ending for Brandon. Yeah, I, I have so, questions. So, okay. 
Do you want to ask your questions before I'm we get into I'm just trying to it? figure out why all of a sudden in 2019 he's doing interviews with TV shows when he had nothing else to say before then. And why his I'm story, so glad you said that. His story is so different than everybody else's. And of course, his makes him look a little bit better. But it doesn't because his Well, I mean, wife, he admits to it. Right. But then his wife also thought he was, thought he was innocent. innocent. So, so here's the thing. So let's talk about that first. Okay. We'll talk about that first. His wife and him didn't make it very long. Like, okay. they were only married like three or four years, I think, um, before she divorced him. Because, well, of like, course, once he was convicted and life just doesn't go, I mean, you know. Well, and what are you going to, you can't sit around and wait on him to be put to death. He's, you know, I yeah, mean, you I know? mean, he's on death row at that, that point. That sounded like, horrible. I, that's not what I mean. I just mean, like, if they well, weren't going to make it to begin with. Yeah, it just, it wasn't. And they had a toxic relationship to begin with. Yes. They're not, like, nobody expected it to last, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think anybody would blame her for going okay i signed up but now not not this here's the part that disturbed me okay so she did an interview with the show regardless of the fact that they got divorced back in 2001 okay she seems like a really sweet lady right he had never talked about any of this like admitted like, he maintained, like, I don't know that he maintained that he was innocent with her. He just did not talk yeah. about it. Okay. Or probably in the beginning, he told her he was innocent. And then he just didn't talk about right, it. So that right. she just assumed that, that that is, that's how it is. Right? So she had to find out on this TV show. Like, in the middle of her interview? Yep. <gasps> The producers played his interview to her. And I was, I'm sure that they, did they know that she didn't know or did they? Yeah. I mean, because she said, like, I supported him and it's just a shame and this is all just, yeah. And you they, know what? Shame on them for doing that and on camera. I, that. It was, I mean, I'm sure they cut, they definitely edited it because it was only showed her crying, like, for one little part. She just said, I wish that he hadn't have done that. I wish that he had just let somebody call an ambulance. I wish that right. he had done the right thing. And Oh, no. The producers of that show should have pulled her into a room and said. I don't like maybe the whole thing was staged. Maybe. But her crying looked genuine to me. Right. If it wasn't and, staged. And we all you know. You shouldn't have done that to somebody. And we on- all know from the jenny jones show that producers of these shows they don't don't always they want the reaction so yeah because it makes for good tv right so yeah and i watch it i eat it up but (laughs) you're part of the problem i am i love reality tv although i like the reality tv shows that aren't really reality yeah you know i do know (laughs) i do know that you like those (laughs) So I'll finish out how things ended for Brandon, and then you'll probably be like most of us and speculate on why it is he all of a sudden talked. So Brandon appealed as well, and eventually the Missouri State Supreme Court ruled that Brandon deserved another sentencing hearing due to ineffective counsel. Okay. They specifically agreed that his defense attorney's 
should have presented evidence of his, quote, impaired intellectual functioning. And apparently what they meant by that, because I was like, wait, is there like, are you just calling him dumb? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I was like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? So a little further into the opinion, it appears that like what they meant by that was probably his long history of mental health problems, trauma from sexual abuse and addiction issues. They just feel like basically it wouldn't have changed that he was convicted, but it would have been evidence that you can present to the jury when deciding does he get the death penalty or does he not get the death penalty, right? So the court was not impressed that Brandon's trial attorneys had no previous experience with capital case and had spent the bulk of their efforts preparing for the trial and not the sentencing part. Okay. So that's what made them decide, no, we're not going to overturn your conviction, but we will allow you another sentencing hearing. Okay. I think that's, like, really fair. Part of Brandon's petition also asked that the actual conviction be overturned because there were allegations that the prosecution had not disclosed the plea agreement that they had made with Freddie during the trial. Like Why? They didn't disclose that. Why would it matter? Um, I don't know what the rules are on that. Yeah. I mean, that I'm genuinely, I, I don't know. I think, like, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are on that. So seriously, if we have any listeners that know, or I can look it up, I can do some research, but I'm not sure what the, and it might vary from state to state. Right. But in any case, the court denied that part, as I said. Well, because I don't see how it's going to make a difference in anything anyway. Like in, in result. I think they probably would have fought back. They just... I think his attorneys helping him through the appellate process felt that if the trial attorney had known Mm -hmm. that that was the deal that Freddie got and he's testifying against their client, they probably would have pushed back trying to get his testimony thrown out because he was technically involved in the crime. Yeah. You know. But that's not how it works. You know. I don't know. So upon resentencing, Brandon's death sentence was overturned and he was given life without parole. Okay. However, he didn't stay long, though. Just 10 days after his interview with the I Am A Killer producers, he was diagnosed with liver and stomach cancer. And on November 2nd, 2019, he died at just 44 years old. Oh, so this was kind of a deathbed thing. That's what a lot of people think. Mm. Yes. But it still doesn't really, like, match. So uh, is it that he's just misremembering? Is he deliberately trying to make it seem like... He seemed really genuine in his interview. Like, this is really what he thinks happened. I think it is. I think that he is... He was just... I've known plenty of people that have addiction issues... And very few of them have good memories. Right. Like, most of the time... Right. I don't you know. You don't remember stuff. I mean, listen, that's that's tricky, but... Like, he talked about Michael Salazar like he was a good... I mean, he literally says he's a good guy. He just got mixed up with the wrong people, too. 
Yeah. And he says, the only person I have beef with, so to speak, is Freddie because Freddie got off the hook. He played a part in this and he got off easy just because he won a bunch of money. Yeah. And that's true. Can't tell, can't fault him for thinking for feeling that way. Yeah. So dang. And Freddie's just out there. Freddie's out there somewhere, I guess. Not named Freddie, though. Possibly not. Probably named Paul. <laughs> I've I don't decided. think he would pass for Paul, but I don't know. Yeah. It's wild. Well, there you are. There we have Happy it. Happy New Year's. Happy New Year. You get don't, a case we don't really know what happened in. <laughs> don't go snorting lines of meth yeah. enemies. I know. New Year's. I love that they shared a line of meth and then and bang it. bang. Yeah. Wow. And that was the like we don't know. Yeah, we, we don't know like how it actually went down. We know the result. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that left me unsatisfied. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was in too deep by the uh, time by the time I realized, like, oh, this isn't going to end well. I get that. Yeah. I get that. Some cases are just like that. But great job bringing it to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, whoop. we will see you guys next year. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrible. That was horrible. Um, If you made it this far. Yes. Give us an ambulance emoji on one of our socials because that's what they should have done because that's definitely what they should have done they should have just sucked it up right and dealt with the consequences of shooting somebody but not killing them yeah you know a a battery charge is is different (laughs) or attempted murder is different than murder murder yes so friends learn your lesson call an ambulance (laughs) that's all i got for you yeah same all right happy new year happy new year Woo-hoo! stay safe stay safe drive safe stay off the roads welcome to 2024 more crime <laughs> more funnies more collabs hopefully hopefully haven't planned any but hopefully. yeah <laughs> all right till next time till next year till next year bye bye Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.